Okay. Morning, all. My name is Jeremy. Um, the privilege of <clears throat> being the pastor here at Midtown Creve Hall. And uh, let me tell you a couple things going on before we jump into the sermon today. Um, make sure I don't miss anything. The first is always that the QR code, that we got QR codes flying around. All, they're going to be up on the screen today, all kinds of QR codes. But there's one that's right on the back of your chair, uh, and that's always an opportunity for you uh, if there is something you would like to indicate as a way of moving closer to, uh, to membership towards this community, if you have questions, all of those are things that you can indicate off of that QR code. Uh, so there's a newsletter that comes out every other week that has all the latest things that are going on in our congregation. That would be the place to access that as well. Uh, so if you're new or if you're just looking to kind of take that next step uh, closer into this community, that would be the place for you to at least initially indicate that. Second, uh, I have some really exciting news to share with everybody. In order to do that, uh, I would like to ask Emily Layton if she would come up and stand ready for your next minute. So the announcement, if you remember about a month ago, um, which has not been all that long ago, we announced that we were undergoing a search for a new executive director of Midtown Creve Hall. Hal and his role, he's leveling up, and now he is executive directing the whole thing. And so that left this role similar to what Dave did when he transitioned up uh, in the same way that left this, these two roles open. I have stepped into the lead pastor role here at Midtown Creve Hall, and now Emily Layton is stepping in as the executive director of Midtown Creve Hall. So Emily comes to us with over 10 years of experience in the nonprofit world in executive leadership. So there could not be a, a more helpful segue in shoring up so many of the things that we need shoring up with and leading us out into this next, uh, this next season for us in ministry in our church. So massively thankful for you and look forward to seeing much more of you in the coming weeks and months. June 1st is when she starts. You're good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, June 1st is, uh, is when you will start seeing her in a, in a more leadership consistent capacity. And uh, so then on June 1st, you can start asking her all your hard questions and I will direct you to her instead of me. Uh, but really, this, is, this process has been such a gift. Um, and, and it, again, just another little token, another little way that it feels like God our Father is caring for us as a congregation. And so just want to say praise the Lord uh, and thank you to Emily. Okay. Uh, oh, gosh, there's more. There's two more. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are happening uh, employment-wise in Midtown right now. The second of those is that uh, our very own Janie Townsend, who is sitting right here, she's also going to be... The new pastor. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, but Janie is stepping into a role as an administrative assistant for our central ministries as well uh, and is now full-time on staff here at Midtown. Part-time in what she's doing um, and then part-time there. So 
She's not leaving anything she's currently doing, don't worry. But she, uh, again, also, we just get more of her as a church and as a movement. So praise the Lord. The last one of those, I don't know if he's in the room. There he is. There in the back, Jeremy Bustle. So uh, Jeremy has just stepped into the role of the strategic operations director. And that sounds super CEO, FBI, CIA-ish. So uh, we don't know exactly what you do, but we know to run when you come walking our direction. Uh, so yeah, all across the board, again, what a wealth the Lord has given us in our congregation. Uh, and now he's giving opportunities for more to step into these greater places of leadership across our movement. Uh, and so again, praise the Lord. Thank you to our congregation uh, for stepping into those roles. I'm excited to see what the Lord will do with us. Okay. I think that's it for now. Do we have anybody else who wants to announce that they got a new job? <laughs> okay, good. All right, then here's, oh yeah, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be another QR code that's going to go up here right now. I'm not joking, it's actually another QR code. Okay, everybody, take a minute. We're starting a new series today on prayer. And so this is going to be some crowd participation Pull out your phone, shoot the QR code with your camera, and it's going to take you to a prayer survey. Not how many times do you pray or how good are you at it, but what are the challenges? Why is prayer hard? Take the next minute, minute and a half. You can check as many of those boxes as you wish. You can also, there's an other box if you would like to fill in your own reason. And then we'll keep going. I'll just give you a minute. This will be like when you're taking your SAT. Look up when you're done. So somebody asked earlier today, is, is there a checkbox at the bottom for all of the above? Uh, we recognize that prayer is difficult. Uh, praying to a God that you can't see, talking, having a conversation with a being that is so high and holy and above yourself that is not, at least experientially, most of the time in the same room as you, it can very often feel like your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling and come back down. What we're going to do over the next seven weeks is walk through the same prayer that when Jesus' Jesus's disciples asked him, please teach us to pray, this is what he taught them. And so in the same way that the disciples, what would cause them to ask that question other than, hey, Jesus, we heard we're supposed to pray, 
you know, the whole Old Testament kind of paints this picture of that. <clears throat> we recognize it's real hard. Will you teach us how we should do it? And in the same way, we're coming with all those same questions, with all those same struggles, with everything, all those boxes that you just checked or the other that you just added in. These are all reasons why it is difficult for us to engage with a God that we cannot see. Hebrews 11 says that, yeah, that's, that's actually what faith is. It is believing in something that you cannot see and engaging and experiencing and conversating with that God. And so because of that, your mind wanders, insecurities creep in, I'm not good enough, I've done so many things, I'm not even sure exactly who this God is, he doesn't seem to answer when I pray, all of these could be reasons. And what we're going to do every week as we kind of walk line by line through the Lord's Prayer is use each of these petitions to say, and here's one potential prayer stopper that this petition addresses. So today we're on the line, our Father in heaven. And I had to make up the one this week. You're going to give me all the content based on your survey results uh, for the future weeks. But I had to pick one for this week, so here's the prayer stopper I thought of for this week. Why pray? I don't know what to say. Have you felt that? You've been there, like you said, apart the time. You kind of do the, okay, I put my hands like this. I kind of do, bow my head, close my eyes. And, uh, and then it's like, and my mind wanders. I'm going all over the place. I start thinking about my task or to-do list for the day. I'm not even sure, like, what kinds of things do I tell this God? What does he care about? What do I say? What do I not say? Do I have to be guarded with him? I think a preliminary question, if we're going to ask, what do I say to this God as I pray? What do we talk about? The way that you talk about something with someone changes depending on who that other person is. So, like, when I was in middle school, I talked to girls in only a certain way. And that way was I want them to only see the best things about me and none of the weird awkwardness. Or when I had a grumpy boss in high school, I would do my best to tiptoe around that person and be on eggshells and only speak when spoken to. Or when I was going through ordination to become a pastor and I had to pass an ordination exam with our denomination, I only said things that made me sound real smart because I knew that that was my audience. That was who I was conversating with. But then when you're around your best friends, you can be relaxed, you can be unguarded, you can be yourself. Who is this God that we are talking to? And based on who this God is that we're talking to, we can then answer the question, what do I say? Let's see how Jesus answers this question. In uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, I believe Catherine Singleton is going to come up and read. Thank you. All right, Matthew 6, 5 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as, as the Gentiles do, 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Okay, so who does Jesus say that this God is that we are talking to? He uses two key words. Jesus says that this God is our Father in heaven. And so what we're going to do is just take those two words and try to parse out what do those two things say is true about this God. And then, based on those things, how do I engage with this God? First, our Father. Let's set a little bit of context since we're jumping in to the middle here uh, of the book of Matthew. This is the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew 5, goes all the way to chapter 7. This is one of Jesus' five big sermons in the book of Matthew, that the book of Matthew is uh, kind of arranged around. And it's this first time that Jesus has the opportunity to begin to engage with some of the other religious practices of the day. Because what was true about every religion in that ancient Near Eastern, Middle Eastern era, era was that they all engaged in these three things, these three religious practices of fasting, of almsgiving or generosity, and of prayer. And so he, he begins by saying, I recognize there's all kinds of ways that you may think that you have to engage with God. And he's beginning with, and I want to break down at least two of those ways that you may be confused because of the way that you see people to your right and to your left engaging with God. You may think that you have to engage with this God the same way, but it's not. He says, firstly, verses 5 and 6, don't be like the hypocrites, speaking about the Pharisees, the religious order of the day. Don't be like them because what Jesus knew about them, externally, they looked great. They would stand on the street corners, he goes on to say, which that was a normal common practice. That wasn't part of the sort of them showing off. But in that common practice, Jesus knew their heart. And he knew their big religious words that they were using. And their outlandish hand gestures to get people ultimately to recognize them. That word for hypocrite is stolen directly from the Greek language. And it, it literally means an actor. So it's someone who, in the, the Greek context at the time, there would be these actors who would wear masks as they put on these plays. And so it's this idea of don't be like one who has to wear a mask when you approach God. You can take the mask off with this kind of God. Secondly, don't be like the pagans, those who believe in either a pantheon of gods or some form of ancient mysticism. Like if you go all the way back and look at the way that Isaiah deals with the prophets of Baal and kings uh, or the way that, uh, that Peter deals with Artemis and, uh, or the Ephesians as they worshipped Artemis, these, these different pagan deities had to be coddled and they had to be wooed to get their blessing. And so they, the way they were coddled and wooed is to sort of venerate them. And you would say their name over and over again, Hail Artemis, King of the Ephesians, Hail Artemis, Hail Artemis, Hail Artemis. 
And in doing so, they were trying to call down blessing on them. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. You don't have to work up this religious fervor inside of yourself. Strain every bit of spirituality you've got so that God will listen to you. You don't have to prove anything to this God. Okay, so if we're not supposed to be like the pagans, if we're not supposed to be like the Pharisees, what are we supposed to be like? And then he says, our father. Our father is one who you don't have to be overly fancy to come to. Because what, what are you saying that you believe if in your prayer practice you deal with God as one who has to be postured to? Well, then that God must be some sort of angry professor who is grading your paper constantly about the way that you speak to him. And he's grading on all the biblical references that you make. And he's grading on all of the times where you don't stumble over your words or sound dumb. And he's saying, yep, that's good. A, A, A. Or a stuck-up king of sorts who, if you impress him, maybe he'll look down upon you. That's not our father. Our father is also not one who you have to be overly forceful with. Like some aloof grandpa in the sky who you have to like wave your arms and speak loudly enough so that he will bend his ear towards you. Or some emotive guru that you have to work up enough spirituality to sort of elevate yourself to his transcendent plane. None of these things are true of our father. The fatherhood of God is something that you can find this theme throughout the pages of Scripture. Like all the way back in Psalm 103, verse 3, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so we get these little glimpses, these little pictures, places like Hosea, Isaiah, here in Psalms, these little pictures of God the Father. And then to even further hone in on what kind of father is this? Because even that word father can bring all kinds of different ideas to our mind. A father who shows compassion, one who is loving and kind, slow to anger, abounding in love. That, those are the kinds of glimpses we get of this God in the Old Testament. And then Jesus takes all of those things and explodes them and expands them and experiences them in his own personhood. He reveals the fatherhood of God in his station as the son. And so coming to earth, we watch Jesus constantly saying, I only do what my dad wants me to do. I'm constantly going away and listening to him and then coming back in and living my life in constant step. My food is to do the will of my father. I so love my father. I only want to do what he says. And he, he draws near to God in all of these ways. Because if you look at the rest of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, they all fall under the fatherhood of God. Each one of these, as you think about what kinds of things do I bring to this fatherly God that the Scripture says that I can have access to? Well, let's just go through the list. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The very same thing Jesus says. I love to do what my father says to do. Your will be done. And so we go to our father for guidance, help. 
what should I do? What job should I take? What direction should I go? What house should I buy? He cares about those things. Moving on down the line, give us this day our daily bread. God, I, I need you for all of the normal stuff just to survive. And as a father who cares for me, I know that I'm going to ask for bread and not get a stone or ask for, ask for a fish and not get a snake. I'm going to get good things from my father who cares for me. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There's this engagement with, Father, I know I'm not perfect. In fact, I know I have hurt people, and I also recognize other people have hurt me. And I bring those things to you, and I bring my hurt to you, and I bring my confusion to you. I bring this hard relationship to you that I'm not sure what to do with. All of these things God is inviting as a Father who wants to guide us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask for his fatherly protection over us. Father, there's things that are too big for me in this world. There's spiritual powers that are too strong for me in this world. Protect me. And so, guidance, provision, correction, protection, and affection from our Father. All of these things the Lord's Prayer calls us to bring to him. These are things that we can, when we struggle to know what to say, the Lord's Prayer can begin to give us some categories to think through. I mean, that was a super deep dive. But to pull back to what is the heart behind engagement with a father. Have you ever seen the Jimmy Fallon hashtags? You know when he does that? So he'll send out a hashtag, and then it'll be a worldwide trending topic in 10 minutes or whatever. And all of these people will send back in things from whatever the hashtag is, and then he'll read some of them on air. He did one that was hashtag kid quotes. These are some of the things that kids say. My son just got out of the doctor's office where he got shots, came out crying, and looked at all the other kids in the waiting room and screamed, they hurt you in there. You could hear a pin drop. (laughs) my daughter asked me if we could buy a kitten and I said no because I'm allergic her response was well you can sleep outside (laughs) Uh, this one's funny Uh, this iPad isn't fun a child said to her father at the ATM (laughs) Um, last one Olive Garden waitress shredding cheese. Tell me when to stop. Kid whispering to himself, never. <laughs> uh, like kids just say what's on their brain. They, they say what they're thinking about. They say what they care about. They say what in the moment is actually going on, not what they think the other person wants them to say. So is the invitation from our father. Okay. So he is our father, but he is also our father who is in heaven. Because again, when you say the word father, that can conjure up many different kinds of images, depending on perhaps the kind of father you grew up with, or even the kind of father you find yourself to be. And you may apply certain uh, freight or certain content to that word father. He may be the gruff dad. You may be the mushy dad. He may be the passive dad. 
He may be the strict dad, but Jesus says that God is our father in heaven. Saying that God is both loving and near, and God is powerful and high and holy and lifted up and other than us. Then that begins to create a tension inside of us. Because, Jeremy, you just told me that I could come and bring whatever I want to this father of mine. That I could just sort of come with whatever sort of messiness is on my mind, even if it's not exactly right. Even if I ask him to bless me in a certain way that would actually hurt me if he gave it to me. You're saying that that father is also one who is in heaven, who is high and holy and lifted up and other. How does that change how I engage with him? we then begin to get an understanding and a sense of, I bring a whole bunch of mess every time I talk to this God. How does he sort that out? How does he still listen to me when I just exploded on a coworker and now I come to God and say, can you believe that coworker? How does he handle me in that moment? Because what's true that we also see in the pages of Scripture of this theme of the fatherhood of God, we also see the waywardness of his children. All the way back to Adam and Eve, throughout the entire Old Testament, Jesus picks up this idea and tells a story about it, the story of the prodigal son. And the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is essentially one where a father, I'm sorry, a son goes to his father who's a wealthy landowner and says, Dad, you're great and all, but I kind of wish I could just have all your stuff and you would just die. And the father says, okay. And he gives his inheritance to him early before his dad's dead. And the son goes and wanders off, squanders the whole thing, loses all his money, comes back, and on his way back is trying to figure out, okay, i got to say the right words, i got to do the right thing, I'm going to rehearse the way that I'm going to say, forgive me, Father, I'm not going to be your son anymore, I'm just going to just be your hired hand. Just let me live in the barn, and I'm just going to kind of do the bare minimum just to get by, I just don't want to eat pig slop anymore. That is all of our natural stories. That the way that we naturally engage with God is, I want your stuff and I don't want you. This world is amazing. Thanks. Peace. And so then we go our own way. We wander like the prodigal in Luke 15. We take all of God's good blessing and we spend them all on ourselves. This is naturally who we are and this is naturally who we bring to this God as we relate to him. And the the natural way that God should deal with that kind of waywardness is to say, goodbye. What has he chosen to do? Is that the way that God, our Father in heaven, has related to us? Let's look at Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
Father. So in that gap that existed between us and the God who created us, who does call himself the Father of all living creatures, as we walk away from that Father, Jesus then gets sent into that mess, not away from it, sending God sending his son, his only son who he loves, into all of that mess, living this perfect life of sonship that we've already talked about, who only loved to do his Father's will all the time because all of us love to do everything but the Father's will all the time. Living the life of a perfect son. And then at the very end of his life, you hear the refrain, Father, 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 until the very end very end. <coughs> Excuse me, the very last thing that Jesus says before he dies as he's unjustly tried on trumped up charges and sent to his death the death of a blasphemer and a treasonist, the true son of God, that his very last words as a true son his whole life living only in the will of his father is my God my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice what's not on his lips. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he, in that moment, has completely given up and abandoned his identity as a son of God. Why? Because that had to be completely given up, what you and I deserve to have our name blotted out of his family. Why? So that a whole new group would be able to come after him with his sonship, now being invited in in the way that Galatians 4 says, that we might receive adoption. We were orphans. God has adopted us back into his family. We have walked away. God has brought us back in, has lavished us with robe and with ring and with a fattened calf and with a party. That's who our God is. That is our Father in heaven. And that is how we can know that whatever mess we might bring to him, that is still not going to ever change his posture towards us. It will never change his smile over our lives because his smile is over his son's righteousness over our lives, over his perfect son, Jesus. And the same smile that the Father has at Jesus is the same smile that he has over you if you have come under this Jesus, if you have said, I am an orphan and I have walked away from God and I do want to be in his family and I admit that to God, I've walked away from you. Jesus, I need you to clothe me again. I need you to bring me in again. Now all of his power and all of those benefits are leveraged not for our doom, but for our benefit and glory. So I was thinking about, you know, in Little Orphan Annie, like the very beginning, she's this little orphan girl, and she gets picked up essentially in a publicity stunt by this guy, Daddy Warbucks. And, uh, you know, he's just trying to, he's like this mean, gruff guy, and he's just trying to make his public image a little bit better. So he's like, maybe I'll just bring an orphan in, and then, <coughs> excuse me, that'll help me to look better. 
in that moment, <clears throat> she gets whisked in. And remember, there's all like the dancing and the songs and stuff. She's in this amazing place. She gets cleaned up. She gets new clothes. She gets a, her own room. She gets servants to wait on her hand and foot. And yet there's still this gruffness that Daddy Warbucks engages with her in. He's not her father. He's, he's her, like, provider, but he doesn't really care for her. He hasn't given her that affection of a father yet because she's not adopted. She's just in the house. Maybe that's the way that you've considered your relationship with God. Well, I know Jesus died for me, and I know that that kind of cleans me up, and so now I kind of have this clean slate, and then he kind of sends me back out into the world, and then I just kind of go make my way. That's partly true. But the, the other, the end of that story, the fullness of that picture is you have not just been brought into the kingdom to sort of wait out your days until you get to go to heaven. But you have been brought into the fatherly love. Not just his inheritance, but his love lavished over you. And so by the end, when Daddy Warbucks finally does sign the papers and adopt that little girl, and you see those last scenes where he picks her up in his arms and they sing and they dance and he hugs and he kisses. That's the full picture of who our God is to us. And so maybe here would be a way to apply this. The next time you pray, listen to yourself. Recognize, what kinds of things do I hear coming out of my mouth? Do I find myself with sort of this posturing where I'm just sort of telling God what I think he wants to hear? Where I'm kind of like quoting the Bible verses and just doing the things that, yeah, that's what good people do. That's what good Christians do. Where you're wearing that mask and not actually bringing your full self to him. Or recognize on the other side, maybe you're one who's, God, just, I just pray, I just just pray that you would do this and this. Please, God, uh," you know, where you find yourself almost trying to work up this religious fervor inside of yourself. And just be curious about what might that say about my perception of God. I might know all the right answers. But what things have you picked up internally that your heart is still holding on to and believing to be true about God that is not? And how could a corrective picture of our Father who is in heaven begin to reanimate and reorient you to a life of prayer in a way that is both accessible and loving where you can, you can know that you have a God who cares enough to listen to you and who is powerful enough to do something about the things that you ask. That's our Father. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, there are many ways that we can apply the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to experiment with different ways over the next seven weeks. But here's the first one, and this is probably the one that most people are familiar with. We're just going to say it together, out loud. But again, consider the two things that Jesus says about the way in which we approach the Father. Notice the way that particularly if you've grown up saying this thing, it can just become so like religious and rote and not real that you almost tune out even as you're saying it. 
Or perhaps you're just trying to focus and not mess up any of the words so the people next to you won't think you're stupid. Try in this moment, potentially, a new practice, a new way of engaging with this prayer. Not by way of any kind of posturing or having to look a certain way or be a certain way or do a certain thing, but we'll take it slow and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together with this heart of coming to our Father and asking him for whatever we need. The words will be up on the screen and I'll start us. I'm going to come sit down. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever 